Hi, I'm Julie Montan, and you've landed on Planet X every Thursday night at 11.30 on Community Radio 3CR. Hi, I'm Dr Gonzo, and this one's introduced by... There's a 60-minute program where we listen to tracks from an album introduced by the artist who made the album. Thanks for listening, and this one's introduced by... Julie Montan is a talented musician and artist. I'm Paul Elliott and Julie is my guest on And This One's Introduced By. And Julie Montan is here to introduce the songs from her musical outfits Your Animal, Midnight Bosom, Soft Rubbish, Lovers of the Blackbird, Princess Liar and her solo material on 3CR 8.55am and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Eora, Sydney-born Julie Montan, now based in Nam, Melbourne, is a songwriter, musician, message-based artist, performer, activist and role model to her 10-year-old daughter. In 1990, Julie quit high school and joined the theatre. In 93, she moved to Melbourne to study drama at the VCA. Then in 2000, she started a T-shirt performance art label that produced provocative political and feminist slogans which were featured in national newspapers, magazines and showcased at L'Oreal Melbourne Fashion Festival and Mercedes Australian Fashion Weeks. In 2008, Julie began to fuse multidisciplinary aspects of her practice into one symbiotic art form, music composition, music performance and music video production. Julie played at the Forum for the Melbourne Arts Festival in 2009, St Paul's Cathedral for MMW in 2017, and Melbourne's Town Hall's Miscellanea. In 2018, Julie received her BA in Songwriting and Music Production at Melbourne Polytechnic with distinction, and in 2021 continues to explore songwriting by responding to conventions of society and culture, fusing pop-rock modalities with experimental psychedelic punk elements, also drawing influence from her Middle Eastern heritage. Julie's produced many events, large-scale and small, including In Dreams You Are Roy, with members of the Black Arm Band, which raised money for Close the Gap. Someday We'll Find It, featuring the one and only Kamal, which she co-produced with Supple Fox in collaboration with the Melbourne Arts Community, the Raise Money for Thornbury Primary School, and the last greatest show on earth was a fundraiser for musical instruments and a music therapist for patients at the John Cage Psychiatric Ward at RMH. She's produced many low-budget lo-fi shows for indoor and outdoor venues too, programmed and performed gigs all over Melbourne, 
hosted the infamous Carport Concert, is exhibited at the Australian Music Vault, has made zines, directed music videos, including the iconic 1999 starring Alan Bro from Spicks and Specs, and played alongside some of Melbourne's most respected acts. After many years of songwriting collaboration in bands, including Your Animal, Lovers of the Blackbird and Soft Rubbish, her most recent collaboration is Princess Liar, which is her most lyrically potent and politically charged work to date. Whoa now. Thanks for that, Paul. I'll be introducing a retrospective of my work from the years 2008 to 2021. I'll be starting at the very beginning of um, my music production in Melbourne and um, the first album that I recorded with my first band called Your Animal. The album that we put out was recorded live at the TOF. It was our sixth ever live gig and we um, documented that performance and then pressed it to CD and vinyl. This was in in the year 2008. I'll, I'll play a song from that album called My Cold Dream, but I'll tell you a little story about um, the era of, uh, of me and where my head was at. So I had just moved to Carlton North and uh, I had so much to carry and I was sick of being laden down by heavy boxes of of CDs that would never sell um, and a, a stash of vinyl records too. So approximately 900 your animal CDs uh, had to go to landfill, and I'm ashamed to say that. Um, and just as I was about to bin the records as well, the vinyl records, in one of those self-destructive Elliot Smith moments, my friend, the DJ Richie Twelve Fifty, stayed my hand and took custody of the remaining stock. I was hating on myself for making an album I could barely listen to without cringing, but apparently the true fans love it. And not willing to stab myself in the heart twice, it was my way of committing harakiri. I know now it was a disgusting thing to do to send so many CDs to landfill, and in penance for my sin, I've become a garbage Nazi. I literally go through other people's bins and sort out their recycling crimes. Anyway, Richie has since sold the remaining Your Animal Records at various record fairs, and to this day I don't even have a copy of it myself, but fingers crossed he's saved me one. Richie, he's the keeper of everything I've ever made, including fully mastered unreleased albums. And because he doesn't trust me to not go into self-destruct mode at any moment, he took custody of my entire back catalogue right through to this current era. I had a specific person in mind when I wrote My Cold Dream, getting back to the original point. Uh, And I wrote it in a midnight blue leather-bound notebook. I knew this person loved Nick Cave after you know several conversations we'd had. I'd smile and nod my head because I wasn't a super fan of the Dark Lord, but in saying that, I do actually have a lot of respect for him. It's just that I don't fawn like the dandy, bo- the dandy boys do. And one possible reason for that is that 
I have a strong masculine side and conversely, Nick Cave has what I perceive to be a strong feminine side. I'm also afflicted with a similar morbid interest in the fallibility of human morality, mortality and the salvation death might provide, at least in a metaphoric way. In Your Animal, I sang in a minimal half-asleep stupor, which you'll probably hear in, in this recording. We were often referred to as the love children of David Lynch and could easily have been cast in any of his films, specifically the band from Mulholland Drive. Our instrumentation was skeletal. Jared Brown played electric bass, Bridget Hart played violin and kick drum at the same time. I was in awe of her coordination and both Jared and Bridget sang with me. I'd close my eyes when I sang because I didn't want to exist for the audience. I just wanted to be in the absolute eye of the storm with my emotions and try to reach the person that I wrote it for, who probably thought more of me as a mother than a potential lover. Thank you. 
song now from my second album with your animal this album was called i say was because it's so far in the past now killing it softly it remains an unreleased album well i think i should play you probably joey the pouch rider i think that's um uh, probably a signature song for your animal and i will um tell you the origin story that I probably shouldn't talk about on radio because I must protect the innocent, but what the hell, here goes. So, once upon a time, I was seeing this young guy. Let's call him Joey. I was much older than him, but still too young to know better than to become romantically ensconced with a man-child. To say we were a little bit in love would be a fair analysis, considering we non-stop texted poetry to each other and had pet names for each other from the get-go. These kinds of affairs can often be one-sided, but I thought this one was mutual. To be fair, he was ten years younger, but this Joey character, as it turns out, was also a player. So much so that when he disappeared off the face of the earth suddenly after our intensely close time together, I went through 
the seven stages of grief, you know, shock, anger, denial, etc. Not literally. I mean, I probably only went through about two stages, but then I added another stage, revenge for good measure, which was more relevant to a woman like me and women of my generation who refused to be rendered powerless by stupid, dumb man babies. But I'll get to that extra stage of grief in a sec. About two months after he disappeared and after many text messages I'd sent him asking him if he was okay and receiving no response, I eventually received a message out of the blue that read along the lines of, I am sad that I don't get to see you as much as I'd like to. Now, to say I was offended to bile-inducing levels at this sudden softening towards our situation would be an understatement. I mean, the gall of the guy to think he could woo me back into his good books and into my pouch after not being in touch for so long. And to top it off in the message, he used my pet name. Anyway, can I just say how much I highly recommend revenge as a stage of grief? The kind of revenge Babushka enacted on her husband after he seemed to have lost interest in her. Kate Bush tells the story of a mature wife who was feeling insecure in her marriage. So to ascertain how faithful her hubby is, she initiates a scheme to send him love letters, but, but under the guise of another woman by the name of Babushka. She sent him scented letters, and he received them with a strange delight. Uncanny how she reminds him of his little lady, etc., etc. Writing a song as an act of revenge is creative, empowering, and not destructive. It's the kind of revenge that is satisfyingly enduring, that gives you an opportunity, an opportunity to heal properly, to have a laugh, and to get a more lasting result than the short-lived satisfaction you might get from throwing a brick through someone's window, for example, or anything actually as harmful as that. It was a Your Animal classic, and when people sang along, I would feel a jolt of come up and glee. The only people who knew the origin of the song were Jared and Bridget, and because we also were a tiny bit immature at the time, we reveled playing Pouch Rider in the presence of this Joey, who was in a rival band. His band, who shall remain nameless, we thought were quite up themselves. But the clincher is, and this is the bit I was hesitant to say on radio, the clincher is that many years later, Joey and I became friends again, really good friends, so much so that he ended up joining one of my bands, and this is how enduring and poetically spiteful creative revenge is. I got him to learn Pouch Rider on his instrument and to sing the BV part that Jared and Bridget used to sing. Oh, my God. It was one of the most hilarious, gratifying moments of my life. Every time he sang it, I felt vindicated, not just for me, but for all the babushkas of the world. Oh 
was Pouch Rider from the unreleased album by Your Animal called Killing It Softly. It was recorded to tape by Mikey Young at Bakehouse Lane Studios in North Fitzroy. I'm going to play you another song from the unreleased album. This one is called Oh Rose. The lyrics to this song are after a poem by William Blake. His poem's called The Sick Rose, written in 1794 and published in his book Songs of Experience. It's set to the tune of a traditional English canon called Our Poor Bird. The key themes of Blake's O Rose are religion, poverty, and the plight of the most downtrodden oppressed people within society. He draws on the rich symbolism of the rose and the worm to create a scene that's symbolically suggestive but is evidently about other things that were taboo in the Middle Ages, such as sin, religion, shame, cruelty, and evil. Your animal's interpretation of the rose and the worm allude more to the beauty of temptation and the temptation of beauty. The absolute murderous intent beauty seems to have over a hopelessly temptable mortal. The line between lust and utter destruction is so fine, yet one cannot exist without beauty. Thus, one cannot exist without torment. Go figure. Thou art sick, 
invisible worm that flies in the night in the howling storm. The invisible worm that flies in the night in the was O-Rose from Killing It Softly. Now, the last song I'll play you from that album is called You Never Hurt the One You Love. Stylistically, it's very different. And, and that could be because I was hanging out with another man friend around about the time Sharon Jones first came to Melbourne. I think it was about 2009. And after the Dap Kings would play, they'd come off stage and dance with the last-to-leave types, i.e. me and my man friend. I'm not sure if I was wrong, but I sensed there was a bit of chemistry between us. I liked to dance. He definitely liked to dance. But, you know, this wasn't the kind of chemistry that either of us were going to act on because, A, he had a girlfriend, and, B, I was a pleb next to the company of rock royalty he was accustomed to. Anyway, my man friend was a bit of a womanizer, and as I'd met his girlfriend, they didn't seem very well suited, but that's beside the point, I felt sad for her, that her man was the kind of man who'd look over his shoulder at other women when she wasn't there. So I wrote this song for her, actually, and all people in partnerships with a person who is not really there, loving the one they're with. Always is replaced by never, as per the idiom, you always hurt the one you love. And it's written in the spirit of love the one you're with and respect. Two of many Aretha songs about empowering yourself in the face of betrayal.
I hope your soul in heaven is resting in peace, darling Queen Sharon Jones. Around the same time, I was obsessed with Sharon Jones. I was writing songs about mamas and daughters and the fraught relationships between them. This next song, Mama Killed the Boogeyman, is from a band that um, succeeded Your Animal. It was a band called Midnight Bosom. This song quite cheekily touches on diva soul tropes and is a nod to post-adolescent soul queens who often referenced their mamas in song. After all, mamas always write, and if you don't show your daughters some tough love from time to time, they might grow up to be entitled little assholes. It was as if my own future self as a mother was writing on this song. There was a howling girl 
Midnight Bosom formed around me at my house in 2012 because I was breastfeeding my baby daughter around the clock. The first incarnation of that band was Joe Foley, Steph Brett and Hugo Cran on drums. Later the band regrouped as a trio, again myself, Genevieve Callahan and Joe Foley and then finally the band was subsumed by Lovers of the Blackbird, a duo, just Joe and I. But I'll get to that. In the meantime, here's another song by Midnight Bosom, which we recorded with Paul Mabry and uh, was mastered by Casey Rice. It's called Your Lips Taste Like Sugar.
your lips taste like sugar. And because I'm a stickler for dates, I want to underline uh, that 2011 was the year Midnight Bosom formed. That first song I played was from 2011 and the second one was from 2012 because we are now entering the era of 2014. And the next album I'm going to play some songs from is uh, by Lovers of the Blackbird. This is from the self-titled EP, which was the first release 
by us. As I may, may have mentioned earlier, Lovers of the Blackbird is a duo comprising Joe Foley and myself. This song and album, though, were recorded by Richie 1250 with Genevieve. So Genevieve actually recorded the album with us, but then later um, moved moved on to other projects. Anyway, it was recorded at Electric Lazy Land Studios, aka my lounge room, on a third-hand eight-track recorder by Richie. In the in the midnight hour, of course, whilst baby was sleeping. Post production was by virtue of two legends, Phil John Frido, who mixed the album on a handsome analog console in Fitzroy, and Simon Grounds, who mastered it in his uh, Valley of the Dolls come Wunderkammer studio. And for those who don't speak German, that Wunderkammer is a cabinet of curiosities. And um, that's precisely what uh, Simon's studio is like. You just walk in there and it's this wonderland cave of old memorabilia, dolls, posters, records, musical gear that, that um, post-war musical gear and all, all, all that kind of stuff. Maybe it'll be a museum piece one day. Anyway, enjoy. Tonight we say goodbye. Do, do, do. 
Lovers of the Blackbird with a remix of that same song, Tonight We Say Goodbye, which was created uh, last year, I believe, but was debuted this year, 2021. So um, it's the club remix that nobody's been waiting for, but it's not waiting for anybody to not want wait for it anymore. Oh, God, that was a mouthful. Um, but ever since Richie first heard Joe, Genevieve and I ripping it on the 8-track in the lounge room, he envisaged a club remix with smelly bodies breaking down on the D-floor. Yes, it was stuck in his craw for many years and then a couple of years ago he commissioned drummer and producer Graham Pogson, a.k.a. GL, to jump on in and pump up the jam. So the first time I heard the remix was a few months ago, and it was a total surprise to me. I really was not expecting it. I had no idea it was in the works. And can I just say that I just felt this incredible sense of achievement and and validation and, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to say that, but, you know, perspective, I don't know, hindsight, wisdom, grief even. I'm not sure what made me feel I had the right to be so chuffed, that a producer had remixed my work and it was uh, a project that was not solicited by me, but I did. I felt so high and I, I it's, it's not really m- my thing to, to stay high. I aim high in all my work, but I rarely stay high. I'd like to, but if I get praise, I normally drink it in really quickly and then I either change the subject or politely walk away I've, you know, average to low self-esteem, so I'm I'm just not really that up myself when it comes to uh, you know, how how marvelous I think I am. I'm I'm just someone making making art as it as it feels you know, right for for me, but the best part of hearing how another artist has interpreted my song I guess was evidenced by how much I lost my tiny fucked mind when Richie first fist pumped it through the shiny new PA at Long Play. This is the remix of Tonight We Say Goodbye by Graham Pogson, a.k.a. GL.
That was the remix of Tonight We Say Goodbye by Lovers of the Blackbird and Graham Pogson. That was not a track for rock snobs. Um, and it was a bit of a deviation from the the Lovers of the Blackbird aesthetic. So we will go back to that album, the self-titled EP, and a track called Now Where You Lay in the Valley. This song I wrote as a as a part of a suite of songs, actually, for a friend who had suffered a traumatic brain injury while kite surfing, and he was in a coma for almost half a year. His family were torn as to whether they should turn life support off, as the doctors said he'd be a vegetable if he survived, and I was horrified by this. I had a very special, very spooky connection with this person, so I thought I'd try and reach his spirit floating in the purgatorial realm with music and lure him back to cognizance. He was that kind of guy that we just had that kind of relationship where we just spoke that alien language that requires no words. The idea harks back to my fascination with and participation in many seances when I was young. I had an eerie confidence this act of sorcery might do the work that science couldn't. And it was the day after we debuted the song live that he came out of his coma. It's true. It, I mean, I, I was just absolutely amazed. But not only that, he's since been rehabilitated. He walks, talks, surfs again, and he lives semi-independently. He completely defied the prognosis of the medicos, which I knew he would if they only would allow him to become compass mentis in his own time. This is the first song in the suite, Now Where You Lay in the Valley. Come here, here, come. 
shake But here I am, a genie screaming out A morning aria, blackbird singing You on your back and compliment us What's your eyes completely stolen elsewhere I can hear your body so clearly from the first Lovers of the Blackbird EP. Now I'm going to uh, delve into the second album, the full-length album by Lovers of the Blackbird. It's called Ocean of No Time. And the title track of Ocean of No Time, you said, Paul, sounds like the soundtrack to an intense acid trip. And I said, so it should. This was the song... Um, in the suite for my friend who suffered the traumatic brain injury. Um, but a bit about Ocean of No Time, the album itself, not the song in particular. The album itself is, um, it features glockenspiel front and centre. 
supported by electric tenor ukulele, heavily drenched in chorus and delay. That's played by me, with rich electric guitar textures, prepared piano, played by Joe. But you can also detect some drone, and that's played by John Lee, who recorded the album. I'd never written music on Glockenspiel before, so it was a wonderful excuse to train myself in a high level of dexterity and intricacy because the glockenspiel is one instrument that affords little to no room for error. It was also my first time playing a percussion instrument, which was a different way of articulating my voice. There was something really boss about playing instruments that were so tiny, light and easy to transport, though it was a real nuisance to mic up the glockenspiel when we played live. I did enjoy the ridiculous amount of attention I'd get from sound guys, though. One more knowledgeable than the next. How best to mic it up. Of course, I knew exactly what needed to happen without being mansplained to, but I'd let them pontificate. And besides, it was a learning curve for me to hear the breadth of detailed knowledge the sound experts had for unhinged frequencies, such as that of the glockenspiel. I remember a few occasions when the Glock sounded primo when we played live, and at other times it was a nightmare. But one of the good times was when we played downstairs at the Gasso, and we were mixed by Adam Donovan. A time that was absolute shite was at the Melbourne Town Hall for Melbourne Music Week. The sound guy was professional to a fault, but I couldn't hear myself in the foldback, yet I could hear piercing feedback caused by the aforementioned unhinged frequencies of the Glock. It was absolute hell, but I don't think anyone in the audience knew my pain. Because I'm a professional, guys. Anyway, enjoy Ocean of No Time. You've been lying in bed so long 
That was 
Ocean of No Time from the album Ocean of No Time and the second song that I wrote to lure my friend out of his coma and was successful in doing so. He came out of his coma and he is a really vibrant um, new version of himself, I guess. But moving right along, um, I'd like to play another song from Ocean of No Time. And this one is called Parthenon. I failed to mention actually um, regarding this album and the inspiration for this album that I am utterly obsessed with Greece, the country. And I ought to have prefaced that the album draws on a lot of mythology and symbolism from holidays we took to Greece, which were absolutely life-changing. I'm not Greek, but my ancestors hail from the Mediterranean Sea and the Middle Eastern Desert, respectively. I also studied archaeology at uni, and I have a passion and awe for great civilizations of the past. The Parthenon is a dedicated temple of Athena, the goddess of war and wisdom, built 3,000 years ago, and after being looted and partly destroyed in a few wars, it still stands as a beacon of Athens and a monument of democracy for the world. I'll never forget beholding the Parthenon for the first time from a distance and then up close. The moment I first stepped onto the marble steps of the Doric columned portico, I will never forget the peaceful serenity before the hordes of tourists arrived. I also remember the smell of pine needles and wild oregano in the air that sent my senses and every cell in my body soaring like the heat that was already incandescent at that early hour of nine o'clock in the morning as it was the first day of the first week of the first month of Greek summer. Enjoy Parthenon.
hope you enjoyed Parthenon from the album Ocean of No Time by Lovers of the Blackbird. The last song I'm going to play from that album is Betty's Dead. Betty was an elderly Greek woman who lived on my street. Betty and John, her husband, were our bastions who sat on their front porch watching the world go by. Whenever we walked past, we'd call out, Yasas, and they'd say, Yeah, which is the truncated form of Yasas. When Betty died, Raven and I attended her funeral. Raven was three at the time. It was a Greek Orthodox funeral, and the casket was open for viewing. We were in the queue to view Betty, and I was preparing myself to be overwhelmed as I'd never seen a dead body before. We stepped up to the coffin, and there she was, dead, white, cold, and beautiful. I touched her hands that were folded at her middle. They were frigid but very soft. She was holding a small posy of roses from her garden that her daughter Vicky had picked that morning when the funeral hearse drove its final salute down the street. After the funeral, when Raven and I got home, I picked up pencil and paper and asked Raven, So, what did we do today? What did you see? She said, We went to the church. We saw a man. He was a king. And she was referring to the priest, who was wearing a high, gilded bishop's hat. We saw John, Betty's husband. He was crying. And those words were the foundational words of Betty's Dead. Writing memorial songs was my thing for a while. I also wrote a song for Edith McEwen, who's the mother of Jill Maher. I wrote a song for artist Emma Van Leest and musician Zach Denton. Anyway, here is Betty's Dead for Betty. Thank you. 
some beautiful guitar playing there by Joe Foley from the Lovers of the Blackbird album Ocean of No Time from 2017, which has been reissued on vinyl in 2021. This uh, next album I'm going to play music from is music from Soft Rubbish, And the album is called Millennial Pink. This was a project that started off as a solo project but then became a full band. Uh, This is an album that was meant to be released in um, 2020, May of 2020, but we were capsized by COVID. So, I don't know, that's a whole other story. Now, I'll just talk a little bit about the background of Millennial Pink, a la the catch cry of second wave feminism being the personal is political and now in fourth wave intersectional feminism, we're in a state of full-blown, hardcore, universal, personal political protest. The catch cry of Millennial Pink was, we're not here to make friends, we're here to speak truth to power. Every song on the album carries the weight of protest, delivered with recalcitrant post-grunge simplicity, psych-punk complexity, and a timeless charm of 90s power pop. We were aiming to encapsulate rage against late-stage capitalism and its failings, and to impart a message that power needs truth spoken to it, not that truth seems to have any effect on power. It seems that money, or the deprivation of money, has more effect on power and its brokers, who greedily sign contracts for the planet's destruction via mining for fossil fuels, and who can't ratify treaties with First Nations people. This album also takes aim at a society dedicated to identity politics, while glued to tools which could be used for good if we so chose to. But I suppose our opposably thumbed hands are designed to create and destroy in equal measure. Yes, I'm talking about iPhones and smartphones. So the first song from uh, Millennial Pink that I'm going to play is the first song on the album. It's called Not In The Game and the song speaks for itself. It requires no explanation. What people think 
I hope you're enjoying the retrospective journey of me, Julie Montan, so far. You just heard Not In The Game by Soft Rubbish from the album Millennial Pink of 2020. Um, you've obviously noted the rock burst, the, the total demolition of my more experimental music makings and have gone into, you know, full-blown expression with four on the floor, everything, wall of sound. And um, I feel like this is kind of where I am now, so we will continue with that that vibe. Um, this song is called 1999, this next song. And I'll give you a little bit of a backstory about that. 1999, okay? When Prince wrote, 1999, in 1982, the world was on the verge of geopolitical collapse. Fast forward to when Soft Rubbish wrote 1999 in 2019, it was seconds to midnight of the 20-year anniversary since the Y2K millennial bug that put the world on edge in fretful worry. When I wrote 1999, nothing much had changed since the 80s, and similarly to Prince, yet more cynically, my message was, it's the end of the world, don't fret, party. But it's angry. It's slightly less joyful than Prince's 1999. But both are rejoinders to the threat of nuclear war, global despotism, and the despoilment of nature. Both are about people transcending what is beyond their control and coming together to celebrate love, sexuality, being alive and laughing in the face of death. This is Soft Rubbish's version of 1999. Everyone is Everyone is 
Hope you enjoyed 1999, written in 2019. There is no obsolescence felt more acutely, at least by me, than the obsolescence of the landline telephone. Once considered a revolution in telecommunication, which as a means for commune has only been around for a mere 145 years, the landline was a short-lived revolution. Not that long ago, it was replaced by a much less charming, much less endearing than old faithful digital factotum. Zimobalphone. It's not that modern tech doesn't have its pros, it certainly does, but e-waste is not one of them. E-waste is a con, let alone the con of lost joy hearing the phone ring in the hallway, lounge room or kitchen, and you sprinting to get it, knocking over vases of flowers and stepping on pets along the way to get to it before it stopped ringing. Oh, those were the days. And when you got there, you'd be tethered to a wall by a spiral stretchy cord and make prank calls on a Friday night sleepover and speak pig Latin with your bestie about your crush so your mum didn't know how deeply entrenched in puberty you actually were. Ah, sigh. This synth pop ode is to my old faithful, telling bone the landline telephone.
perception is amazing What? Say that again I can't hear you We must have a bad connection What? Say that again Send my love you enjoyed landline the next song i'm gonna play is called math i used to be crap at maths until my grade nine maths teacher took me under his wing and helped me to see the poetry and art through the obfuscating code that is numbers i learned that numbers are infinitely plastic and elastic and can morph in and out of infinitely beautiful, strange shapes and formulas. Codes that describe every phenomena visible to the human eye and what lies beyond visibility, via densely synthetic, organic, symbolic, noble truths that can only be proved by suspending disbelief and by following rules. It's very convoluted, yet so simple, and that is why it is so offensive to me when I am lied to. Lies are flimsy. Lies are porous. They never add up. Truths, by contrast, are consistent and solid. So be accountable, you lying motherfucker. Own what you did, and please don't lie to me again. Excuses, obtuses, obtuses, excuses. It just don't add up. You do the math. Excuses, obtuses, obtuses, excuses. It just don't add up. You do the math. It just don't add up. You do the math. It just don't add up. You do the. Let me look inside your head. Look inside your head What's the matter with you, boy? What's the matter with you? Let me look inside your head Five plus five multiply Two by two, who are you? Let me look inside Let me look inside your head I was worried, so worried 
point I I guess I should announce the band Soft Rubbish are myself Julie Montan I'm playing guitar I play uh, keyboard Um, Joe Foley plays bass Monica Ficilli plays drums and Matthew Sincock plays an ARP Odyssey in the early days Renato Vecherka played drums with us And, in fact, Renato is drumming on all these songs that you're hearing now. John Lee also drummed on the album. In fact, he played the drums on that last track you heard, which was called Math. John Lee recorded the album at Phaedra. And so it brings us to the reverse side of the album, Millennial Pink, and a song that I'm going to play you called... Sibur Tfos. As I said, it's from the B-side of Millennial Pink, which is all the songs from side A played in reverse. A few bands in history have done this. Mudhoney put reverse songs on My Brother the Cow in 1994 to fill up a CD. The original um, CD included a 34-minute hidden track named Wok Et Rehtorp Im which is most of the album's preceding songs played backwards. Also, Napoleon XIV's 7-inch single from 1966, They're Coming to Take Me Away, Ha Ha, was the A-side, and Ah, Ah, Yawa, M, Ekat, Ot, Gninomuk, Er, Yet, was the B-side. And why we decided to release the album both forwards and in reverse, was a reflexive necessity for me to exhale after holding my breath in for so long making the album, enduring months and years of fine-tuning and perfecting the product that is the cassette we made. The reversed songs on the B-side is that release. But a meta-analysis of the out-breath can also be indicated in the way our so-called great civilization has breathed capitalism and industrialization in for centuries of exponential growth without factoring in entropy or the transformational state of breathing out to pause and ponder mankind's next giant steps. As above, so below. We need to restore balance in ourselves. We need to unload our lungs, hearts and heads of dangerous levels of toxic everything if any semblance of balance for the planet is to be restored. Here's Sibur Tfos from the B-side of Soft Rubbish's album Millennial Pink. 
Sibert Foss from the B-side of Millennial Pink by Soft Rubbish. Now, if you wanted to watch any of the music videos that we've made, that Soft Rubbish have made, you can look them up on YouTube. Soft Rubbish has a YouTube channel and there's some corkers in there. There's also um, a film that was made to accompany the album Ocean of No Time. And you can support all my bands on our Bandcamp pages. So I've got a Bandcamp page for Ocean of No Time, oh, sorry, for Lovers of the Blackbird, and those two, the EP and the LP are on there. And I have a Bandcamp page for Soft Rubbish, and there you can purchase some amazing T-shirts that I made of um, our faces spliced all together. It's pretty kooky, but um, you've got to own one to be cool like us and you can also get one of the cassettes that we made which are bicolor blue and pink um, spliced cassettes they're awesome and um, I will play you one last song from Millennial Pink it's it's sort of you know it's a ballad I guess and nothing really on on Millennial Pink constitutes ballad but this one does it's called Wasted I wrote it when I was depressed, an Ian Curtis kind of depression, you might say, low, bleak and mouldy, the kind of torpidity that grows from a single-celled thought that seems harmless enough in the petri dish of the brain but then grows into an insidious, impenetrable slime of the mind, wasted. Thank you. 
broken mirror of my vanity Ripped every page of my diary Sunny days wasted indoors Should have done a few less chores Climb more trees, watch more birds Should have listened to my sister's cutting words Remember you got something So it's kind of, you know, brings us full circle in a sense from um, the first album by your animal, Peacock, Dove, Eagle, that ended up in Landfill, and now the final release, uh, Millennial Pink, which was never released because of um, dastardly COVID. But these days I've got Bandcamp pages and, and you um, can help me not feel like I've wasted my life on on this by 
purchasing some of my my music. It's not a deal breaker, but you know you can do me a favor, and um, it will be it will be so dearly appreciated. Now I'm getting towards the end of my retrospective by introducing some of the new things that I'm I'm working on. Album seven, I guess that I'm presenting today is is an album that actually hasn't been recorded yet. It's called Cobra Spit. It's by uh, my new band called Princess Liar. So we're in the process of demoing these songs at the moment, but um. I'll, you know, give you a little bit of a backstory about Princess Liar and Cobra Spit. This album is a breakup album. Again, I've used music as a means of magic for healing and the regaining of strength after a period of loss and grief and to produce a potent keepsake after having lost everything I knew life and love to be. Thanks to the quickening forces at play these past two years. The title of the album is in reference to the wrinkles cobra, not the wrinkles on your face or in your blanket cobra, but the wrinkles cobra that spits venom in self defense. Also, underpinning the inspiration for the album is the film Frozen. Riding the princess vehicle of my own lived experience and perception of princesses and conversely ogresses, I share resonances with writer-director of Frozen's 1 and 2, Jennifer Lee, to write more relevant princesses. My princesses are the antithesis of lipsticked Disney ones. Mine use their lips to hiss the truth. And the band name Princess Liar is a play on Princess Leia from Star Wars, who is a force-sensitive human female political and military leader who served in the alliance to restore balance to the Republic during the Imperial era. The songs speak not only to my personal story, but to this pivotal moment in history that no one will be forgetting in a hurry. And if out of all of this I have learned anything, it will be to respect that even if one has to lose so much in the process of evolving, that wisdom can be gained. This is a demo of a song called Tell Me The Truth. It is me playing acoustically in my lounge room. I actually recorded this purely to attach to a grant application recently. Um, Tell Me The Truth, uh, I mean, I could I could go into what it means, but I'll just I'll just leave it. I'll let I'll let the the lyrics do do the work. And after tell me the truth, um we're going to play one last song and that's going to be the end of the res- retrospective and it is uh I'm front announcing here but it's an unreleased synthesizer track from um some of my historic electro body of work that I've I've never I've never really published. Um, Richie has has been playing my songs on on his radio show, and um, Astral Glamour have played um, my song on 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 that program on Triple R. But hitherto, they've just stayed in the in the vault. But the song that will follow, "Tell Me the Truth," the demo of "Tell Me the Truth," is called "Lie Back and Enjoy the Space of Space Yacht." Thanks so much for listening to my retrospective.
from 2008 to the future date of 2024. lies that make me cry tell me the truth do you love me or not tell me the truth tongues crack like a whip words hurt like a wound left to heal by itself by itself No one meant to face it Everyone turned on their head Oh, those pretty words Learn a language that I cannot explain I can't explain the writing on the wall But no one suspects a thing If it wasn't you, then who was it? A deluge came upon me, setting in motion. Icicles turned to lava, Antarctica to Africa. Tell me the truth, do you love me or not? Tell me the truth, it's the Secrets that hurt It's the bald-faced lies that make me cry Tell me the truth, do you love me or not? Tell me the truth Tell me the truth Tell me the truth Tell me the truth Tell me the
Hi, I'm Julie Montan. Please support Community Radio 3CR and find out more at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for listening to an episode of And This One's Introduced By. I'm Dr Gonzo and I'll be presenting another artist with another album next time on This One's Introduced By. Catch you next time. Hi there, I'm Paul Elliott and I've been asked by media star Dr Gonzo to mention the 3CR subscription drive and to tell you that it's listeners like you who keep the station running. A commercial free radio station like 3CR has great difficulty paying the bills and so 3CR's existence rests on its listeners to chip in and support the station. It's 35 a year for the unwaged and concession card holders, $75 for wage earners and $150 solidarity band or organisations. You can subscribe to 3CR on the website at 3cr.org.au. Subscribe during business hours on 039419 That's 039419 Find out more on 3cr.org.au. Mm-hmm.